Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. You're listening to Griefcast with me, Carrie Ad Lloyd. Griefcast is a place to talk, share and laugh about the peculiar human process of death and grief. Each week I talk to a different person about their experiences of grief and death as we remember someone that they have lost along the way. Whether it was a long time ago or you've just joined the club. Welcome to Griefcast. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hey Greasters, hope you're having an okay week wherever you are listening. Thank you so much for your lovely messages about last week's show and all the new episodes of this season. It's so appreciated. Um, If you have been enjoying this season as ever, if you'd like to rate, review or subscribe or simply tell someone you think would enjoy the show. There's lots of of people out there who might be afraid to listen um, and I always start with it's cheerier than it sounds. (laughs) So um, if you have been enjoying it, thank you. And if you can spread the word, it will mean we can keep on making the Griefcast. Thank you. This week I'm talking to the brilliant actor and writer Emily Bevan. Uh, Emily has been in a plethora of things. She's been in Doc Martin, The Thick of It, St Trinian's, uh, The BAFTA winning In the Flesh. And she is the author of the brand new book, The Diary of Losing Dad, A Bittersweet Journey Through Grief. It's published by Unbound. It's available to buy now. It's such a beautiful book and it's, um, yeah, all about how she felt dealing with her own grief of losing her brilliant dad, Nick, which we talk about a lot on the show. So here's me talking to Emily. I hope you enjoy. So Emily, who are we remembering today? So we are remembering my dad, um, Nick Bevan, Nick Bevan, who died on the 12th of January 2014. 14. So how? Oh, so not how many years are we? Sorry, my math is so. Bad. So eight years. No, no, my math is awful as well. So I, I had to work it out as well. Yeah. Um, eight years ago. Eight years um, ago. Wow. And he was 71. I was 31. Wow. Okay. Hey, God, that's yeah. terrifying in some ways because when you said 2014, I literally was like, "So what? Two years ago?" <laughs> like, oh no, that's eight years ago. Wow. So yeah, you're eight, you're heading yeah. into that slightly funny territory, I think, where to some people it seems like a long time ago. To people yeah. who haven't, who aren't in the club, as we say, that's like, "Oh, a long yeah. time ago." But actually, I would say you're heading towards a 10 year anniversary, which is the a big chunky one I felt for me I don't know wow yeah. really um but like is that how you're feeling that slightly people are like oh you're still 
Oh, well. Still feeling sad about <laughs> yeah, that, are yeah, you? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think it's a funny one because I obviously... Because uh, I, I wrote about um, Dad in, in a book and I wrote... I, I sort of was writing up diaries that I kept around the time that he was um, he was really unwell. And so I feel like I've gone through various stages of grieving yeah. because I had the kind of running away from it and not wanting to talk about it and being really kind of um, manically positive and then being completely distraught and sort of crumbling on the floor and then being manically positive again. And then did you have that the sort of like intense kind of trying to be normal yes, and, then, yes. and then just crying and crying and crying in the supermarket when they didn't have <laughs> the right beans and then being really kind of try, quite normal again. And then I felt like I was like that for quite a long time. And then the sort of gaps between, you know, crying on the floor got a little bit wider. Yeah. But I think essentially I was running away from kind of how I was feeling. And I always wanted to present that like, like I was doing really well. And I was kind of quite busy as well at the time. And I was working a lot. And that was a really good distraction. Yeah. And then it all caught up with me about three <laughs> years later when I went on um, on a big holiday I went to India. It sounds such a cliche, doesn't it? <laughs> but I did. I went to India and I had a revelation. But I, I just had this really strong urge to to write about it and to look at my diaries and rewrite them. And and, and I was listening to Griefcast at the time and my brother had told oh. me about your podcast. Oh. And I and it was a really strong, profound thing of wanting to write my own story. Yeah. And And in writing the book, I think I really dealt with a lot of stuff. I think it was sort of choosing language and kind of putting it into a bit of a box marked grief and and sort of the selection of words and and then going over it and editing and editing and editing I think I did a huge amount of work on how I was feeling when I was writing yeah and then it's quite funny that now uh, you know it is eight years on and um I feel like I'm experiencing everything in a completely new way. Mm. And and it's funny because I've chosen these words and that they're words that I, as I said, I edited, I poured over draft after draft. But if I go just a tiny bit off piste and I start unpicking maybe a sort of scene from the book that I've kind of fixed in a certain way, it's like, whoa, okay, not, not, not okay. Everything is so raw around the edges. Yeah. It was really interesting to discover that. Like just the other day, I was sort of just expanding on something that I'd written and I felt like there was just whole this whole universe of grief that I'm just not I haven't even, you know, haven't even gone there yet. And so I so it's interesting that you say ten years is a big one because I can feel that, you know, and also being a mother now and having a kid yeah, and, yeah. and and sort of experiencing my dad or sort of thinking about him in a different way as a parent now that I'm a parent and trying to explain to my daughter you know that the guy on the fridge is that is, is mummy's daddy yeah it's a lot it's and a lot. that's really upsetting yeah I think um the writing thing is really interesting to say you you've written this book it's called the diary of losing dad that's right yes that's yeah, the right. Diary, yeah it's called the diary of losing dad and um I found it really interesting reading it that one that you had kept diaries because yeah. I, I was unable to write anything down but obviously I was yeah. a teenager very different situation and I was wondering you know the fact that you sort of kept them, put them over there, then went back to them. I thought, God, that must have been yeah. so interesting to go back because I I wrote down a, a, like maybe like five or six things, and in writing my book, I dug up this this notebook that I bought from Miss Selfridge, and I, oh. <laughs> and I found a few oh. things, and I was like, oh my god, because it's like meeting someone. For me, it was like meeting someone didn't yeah, recognize. Yeah, yeah. I was like, who's yeah, this no, person? Completely. And the yeah, the way they saw their grief as well, I was like, oh my god! Like the things I thought were so solid of like, you know, are uh, like 
I'm fine. I don't feel anything. Mm. It's gone. Like, I, I think I'm okay. Like, just mm. <laughs> really like, and if you'd <laughs> gone to carry out at that point, I would have, you know, put money on it. I would have said, yeah, I'm fine. So I thought, how did it feel going, going like back to Like you've had a cold or something. It's yeah. gone. I had a cold. Gone, yeah, yeah. I feel, it, was, it was a bit, well, it wasn't great, was it? But I'm fine now. Fine. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, great. Yeah. How did it feel wow. going back to those old notebooks? Was that kind of... Um, they were, yeah, they're quite difficult because I, I, it is weird that I was keeping a notebook at the time and it was, it's something that I've kind of it's done. It's definitely not weird. I think it's great. I just admire people who can well, write it down. But, but it's only, I, I haven't really done it before or since, mm. interestingly. And so it, it was around a time, so I knew dad was ill and I remember sort of writing a poem about him on holiday about you know, the fact that he was ill. And then I just sort of kept going. And there was also quite a lot of interesting things happening. And I just wanted to remember details of life. And then it just turned into this sort of diary about dad. But there was a weird thing that happened that so my dad had renal cancer. And um, we'd known about it for a while. He'd had a kidney removed, everything went well. He was all set to start um, with a really good new drug that's really effective for renal cancer. And basically, he had a stroke out of nowhere wow. um, and I found out about that when I was in Berlin to do mm. a short film with a friend of mine and I was literally going to get into my costume, looked at my phone and I went onto, you know, Wi-Fi and it was like, call, call home and call, 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 oh, call as when you can. And so um, it was this really surreal thing where I was in Berlin and I didn't, you know, you sort of expect that you're going to have a sort of James Bond heroic moment where the clouds are going to part yeah, you yeah. know exactly what to do don't worry mum don't worry brother I'll be back everything's gonna be great but I, I froze I didn't know what to do there was this whole film crew waiting to do the short film and so my brother was amazing and he took control and said look it's really awful here because I, I didn't really even understand what a st- I mean I knew what a stroke was but I didn't really I couldn't push the two things together yeah, in my head that yeah. dad had had a stroke and um, I just didn't know what to do. And he said, just, just, it's awful here. Come back in two days. We'll really look forward to seeing you. Stay, do the short film and then come back. And then obviously, because life's like this, I then did this short film and then completely fell for this German director of photography. Who had, like, I was like reading hair. about him. I was like, <laughs> any, any actor or actress can relate <laughs> to being on set and falling in love with a, yeah. I was like, oh yeah, he's, Soon as you mentioned him, I was like, oh, yeah, here we go. go. I was like, Emily, stay away. (laughs) (laughs) And so, um, and I'm so also, I'm such a sucker for kind of finding meaning in things. Like, I'm like, oh, my God, this terrible thing's happened. But look, look what life has given me. And I've got this big German man with floppy hair. I don't have to think about what's actually happening. (laughs) Exactly. And so then, then, obviously... You can guess that this isn't going to end well, carry on. Um, but then I had this really intense couple of days in, in Berlin and then I go home to see my dad. And so everything is basically spilling out. Like the emotions are just all over the shop. Mm. And so looking back, to answer your question, it was a very, very long-winded answer, but there's a lot of stuff in those diaries that is just absolutely hideous <laughs> and like really embarrassing. And a lot of really, really painfully kind of insecure and honest poetry because mm. uh, it, it's difficult sometimes I think with grief because um, I think you are grieving as you're sort of losing your you know, parent you're going through 
a sort of pre-grief or something yeah. and it's difficult to know what is being caused by what like it just felt like everything was spilling out over the edge and in trying to stay sane that's what I was you know that's why I was keeping these diaries and I was trying to sort of organize these really uncomfortable thoughts into poems and so a lot of it is really hideous I mean a lot of it didn't make it in I was like this is too embarrassing but then I you know then also there's part of me that was like actually I do need to put you know, I was a bit of a mess. So, um, mm. you know, I've got to, I've got to go there. I've got to, I've got to, you know, and, and there is a lot that's very vulnerable. It's very exposed. And, and I think it needed to be in there. Yeah. Um, I, I thought it was really but, lovely. Yeah. You really captured that sense, which I, I really related to, despite our very different, <clears throat> despite our very different ages, you really captured that set at the time, not now. <laughs> mm, <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. Um, the, you captured that sense of how it like, it knocks you sideways, but like in your peripheral. So it's like, mm. I, I really relate to that sense of like, you sort of know something's awful is going on, but in front of you, there's all this normal life. And so mm. you are, you are very vulnerable because you're trying to keep this life going that's falling apart, you know, because mm. a huge pillar of your life is, is dying. And so mm. you're sort of, you know, getting up and having breakfast and flirting and falling in love and going clubbing. Mm. But at the same time, there's a voice in your head being like, uh, but also your life, whole life is about to change. Like it's such a, like you yeah. said, it's such a weird slow motion set of emotions. And I think, I thought the diary in your book was really interesting because I liked that it had that fresh, you know what I mean? It wasn't like the mm. hindsight of like, oh yes, mm. well, no, actually I I now know I felt like this. It was like, no, no, that kind of chaos of like, I think mm. he's okay. And like you said, with the stroke, like just not really knowing what that looks like until you see someone. Mm. Um, and I know my granddad had a stroke just like two weeks before he passed away from it. And Did he? and I remember, we, you know, we went to see him and it was like, it's such a shock because it's so physical, mm. isn't it? And it really mm. does show on someone's face, you know, yeah. I think, especially, I guess, versus an early diagnosis of cancer where someone can seem very healthy but have their insides are not yeah, yeah. are not so yeah it's I, very visible yeah like so when you went back to see your dad and we should say from the book you get this sense that your dad was a character <laughs> like yeah. quite yeah. a like huge personality a headmaster like just yeah a love yeah. a real love loving figure in your life as well so i can yeah he was he was out and 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 I think that physical aspect that you describe of a stroke was particularly <laughs> devastating. I mean, it's devastating for anybody. It's not any more or less devastating. No, no. But Dad was so physical. Like he was he was an active man. Um, his big passion was rowing. You know, he was always out on the towpath. In his even you know in his you know when he was seventy, he was driving a you know bicycle up the towpath and practically falling in, holding a loud hailer. And he was physical and he walked a lot and he was really active and that was sort of very much part of his identity and so that was it was really devastating like to see somebody you know having to be winched out of bed having to you know just losing all of your kind of um I don't know just using your ability to be independent it was really really hard but also there's that personality change that happens with a stroke I don't know if that happened with your yeah, I mean, he wasn't he could, could around he very much. Yeah, he could a okay. little bit, but not really. Okay. And he was quite a quiet man anyway, so... Okay. Um, you know, like, yeah, so, but I know, yes, I know what you mean. It's, it, it feels like a piece of the music is kind of gone, I think, is essentially yeah. yeah. Yeah, and there was this thing where we, we talked about crafting, which was this sort of mixture of laughing and crying at the same time. <laughs> because it was so, I mean, it, sometimes it was just... 
Uh, you just had to laugh because, I mean, you'd be crying and then you're just like, you just got to laugh. But the intensity of emotions after a stroke as well, it's like a layer's been stripped off. Mm. And it's almost like we could see right through to, you know, the very core of his being. There was no, there was no side at all. Not that his dad was sort of someone who would really ever kind of keep much back but it was you really could know exactly how he was feeling and like we described it as being like trying to keep a car from swerving off the road emotionally because you'd be like okay people have written him like letters and we want to read them to him because we know that they'll make him happy but then they also make him cry so like okay stop reading the letters because he's crying now and then we need to cheer him up again but it's just like it was just so everything like you know and he loved our dog Boris and he's actually quite a big character in the book because you know they were best friends basically and there was this lovely thing once where dad said he liked to do a bit of painting and I said why don't you ever do any pictures of Boris and he said because I can't draw people (laughs) and which is how he thought of him and um you know and and when you'd mention you know because sometimes when you um when you're recovering from a stroke you asked to do um tongue twisters and there was one that was give the dog a biscuit and dad's eyes again just welled up with tears just thinking about Boris so it was so um those early kind of weeks after dad had a stroke were so kind of extraordinary really and so intense and yeah just full of tears and laughing and you know he kept a sense of humor which was so uh, um which you know meant a lot to us because humor is something that's always really bonded us as a family crafting um, is a a good one (laughs) i like that my mum used to always say you don't relate to craft if you don't laugh you cry that's what she used to say so we would always laugh but i think we might have to cry one day like (laughs) but not right now not right now and that sense of the like how quickly the hospital becomes like your home it's so it's so weird so um how long so what happened after he'd had the stroke how long was he recovering for you want to tell us about that? So he was in hospital. So he had the stroke in September and then he died in January. Right. And initially the focus was like, you know, he's had a stroke, yeah. he needs to do some rehabilitation. And that wasn't going particularly well. He wasn't kind of making much progress. And he was moved from um, the John Radcliffe in Oxford to a smaller specialist stroke unit. And again, uh, there was a little bit of progress, but not very much. And, and basically, we started to be concerned that there was something else going on because he was very tired. Um, he was exhausted. He was um, was complaining of headaches. And there was a sort of fear that maybe that the cancer might have spread. And eventually, we found out that he had widespread brain cancer that hadn't been detected. Wow. That had obviously re- related to his renal cancer. And, um, and so that was a massive shock. And a difficult thing for my parents because I think dad was so ill and so tired. And um, but there was this treatment option. But even getting him out of bed, mm. you know, to go to the loo was a massive ordeal, let alone getting in an ambulance. And there was an awful experience when he went in an ambulance to go and have his scans. And he was so sick. So it, it's an interesting one because looking back on it, he was he was incredibly unwell. He was losing loads of weight, but we hadn't we still didn't really think about him dying. Mm. We sort of always thought he's going to come home. We're going to get him home. The plan was, you know, if he can just get himself out of bed and into a wheelchair, then he can get out of you know a wheelchair into a car. Yeah. And the plan was, you know, we're going to get him home. And my mum was like, we're going to get him on the drugs and we're going to get him home. And that's what we were sort of you know planning yeah. really. And that's sort of like, even when someone can be so frail and so unwell, we never expected that he was going to die. And I'm sure lots of people sort of describe that thing. I think Adam Buxton talked about that with, you know, 
his his mum just even though there's all the signs that all the signs are there yeah you just don't need to because it's such a huge thing to even fathom i think it's just so i think also your brain like protects you <laughs> mm. i think the more mm. i speak to people it's like you know it and you don't know it you know you yeah. you do know if someone had stopped you and shook your shoulders and been like what do you think's gonna happen you would been like well yeah. probably it's probably bad but like yeah that voice is you just keep sort of like layering over it of like don't think about it don't think about it today what's today mm. what's today it's getting him home it's getting in the wheelchair like it's true you just yeah, focus on true. all these tiny things in front of you because because to you know to, like what is it marion keys quoted amazing poet which i've balls up before but it's something like the truth the truth sure does last gradually lest it blind us i can't remember who it is sorry um and and i that really stuck with me apart from the author because i was like it's just this idea that you you know that you can't look at the truth square in the face it takes time Mm. it takes time Mm. especially when someone's sick there's lots of distractions, you know, like there's lots of, and I remember like hospital, there's lots of chat, isn't there? Like, oh, we need to get their weight or if they eat this and there's all these sort of things mm. that no, and I feel like obviously no one directly is like, oh, because they are going to die, but we're just trying to do mm. the best thing possible. Mm. So you sort of latch on to like, oh yeah, yeah. If they can walk to the loo, then they'll let yeah, them have yeah. a wheelchair, which means they can then go, like yeah. you latch on to these things because they feel, they feel like hope, I guess. Yeah, totally. And and I think that's something that's really helpful is that you're living an hour at a time, sometimes yeah. a minute at a time. You're not thinking far beyond that. So I guess you're just not able to take in the the kind of the big picture. It was actually thinking about dad's actual death is is a really painful memory for me because my the nurses had all been worried about my mum because she was driving to hospital sort of three times a day, yeah. cooking dad amazing meals. And she was actually a nurse. Um in her when she was younger she was a midwife and she's amazing in a hospital and she really kind of it was a sort of strange thing that mum kind of came into her own in a ward she'd practically be plumping the other guy's (laughs) pillows in the ward and going around and sort of tidying them up and and she had that amazing energy of a nurse and she was brilliant with dad in hospital um, but she was exhausted and and the plan was you know we're going to get him home so um there was this one day, it was, the, I think the day before dad died, one of the matrons sort of said, you know, we're a bit worried that your mum's going to burn out. We think she should have a day off. So why don't you tomorrow, you know, you come in, Emily, and, you know, well, we were going in every day yeah, anyway, yeah. but but normally mum would come in a couple of times a day. But so why don't you go in in the morning and then she'll come in in the afternoon? And so this was my duty. I was in charge. I had to go in and be like on dad duty. And as soon as I got in, I could see that he was really not good. Yeah. And he was crying out with pain in his chest. And it was this this stupid thing where I was like, I'm in charge. I'm not going to call mum. I'm going to make sure it's ever good. And I was talking to all the doctors, all the nurses, getting making sure everyone was coming to see him. They said, there's nothing to worry about. You know, it's, you know, he probably just needs some antibiotics, probably just a chest infection. But he was, he was, crying out in pain and I they sent me off to go and buy some heat packs from the local chemist and I came back with the heat packs none of it was working um I remember trying to buy some cream for a rash and at the same time and they wouldn't sell me two tubes of cream and I just started crying and I was just trying to hold it all together and eventually their mum came in and I felt awful that I hadn't been able to deal with the situation and that you know um mum was obviously so you know so upset to see the state that dad was in and then, um, and then mum and I had an argument about something really tiny, um, about, you know, putting a flannel on dad's head. It was, the nurses had given us some cold water and I went to put the flannel on his head and mum was worried that it would be too cold and, you know, sort of 
don't put that on a second beauty film. It's a tiny thing, yeah, tiny yeah, thing. Yeah. But of course, in my state, I was like, I can't cope with this. It's just, I'm too upset. And so I went off and cried in the you know waiting room and then was like, I'm going home. And I went home and then, and then that was the night that dad died. And so that was just this sort of really painful bit when I look back that I, you know, my own... Uh, you know, don't tell me not to put the flannel on the head was much, it was just too much for me to cope with yeah. and I couldn't see the bigger picture and I went home and I think I ate sausages and I went to bed and then my phone wasn't turned on and so my poor mum was trying to call me and say, you know, we've gone to the John Radcliffe and um, eventually I got the messages because a neighbour came over and shouted my name wow. outside the window. Oh my God. It was like the voice of God yeah. um, except it was our neighbour Dave and... Um, <laughs> And actually, it's it's it's. I sort of feel okay talking about it now because I've you know I have had to face up to that and writing that and rewriting that was really really painful. Mm. But in a way, in a strange way, my mum and dad had some time together in hospital before dad was transferred to the John Radcliffe. There, there was a sort of quiet period where his pain had had gone down, and it was just the two of them in a quiet ward. Yeah, and I bet that you know, must have meant the world to both of them, actually. And actually, I wasn't there, and that was that was just about them, which yeah, is where everything yeah. started. So that comforts me um, when I think about that. But, yeah. It's really hard, and I, I think you, like... Sorry, I can think of... I was going to say hats off to you, but it's not a great hats phrase. Off. <laughs> hats off to you. But what I meant was, like, I think it's really... I think it's really brave to be honest about how you actually feel when someone's dying. Because mm. I think so many of us tidy it up and we like mm. get the anti back and we wipe it all down and we're like, no, this is actually how I behave. And you don't. Like I had a row with my dad like before, uh, maybe like a couple of days before he died, before he like really lost, co- like wasn't really with it. And mm. I don't really remember speaking to him properly after that. And it like all these things because you feel this internal pressure of like, I should be doing this and I should mm. be, almost like you mm. said about your mum, like plumping pillows, being helpful. Mm. But she's a mm. trained nurse. <laughs> like, mm. she, she knows how to deal with someone <laughs> dying. And I think yeah. most of us don't. And I mm. think especially like, of course you had a row with your mum, like you're exhausted, you're so stressed and you can see he's dying. And that really mm. is mm. what that is. It's two people both saying to each other I don't want him to die like that's what the final conversation is isn't it it's like I don't want this I don't want this well I don't want this either well I Mm. I now I'm upset and it's just we have to be honest about what happens in these at these hospital moments because we can free each other from the shame of it because I know so many people who've done stuff like that I've had so many guests who've talked about those moments of like you know leaving to go and get tea leaving to go to the shops because they just couldn't face being in that room anymore and like yeah yeah we we I know how hard it is when you sort of carry it with you for a bit and I'm glad that you have written about it and now can be like yeah it happened it doesn't mean you didn't care Mm. you didn't love him Mm. or you did anything wrong it's like Mm. somebody dying is such a I think the thing we have such an idea that it's going to be like an on off like they'll be there then they'll die it's like no, they dying takes time. It takes hours, and their body mm. slowly breaks down. And mm. you know, you there's parts of that you're great at, and there's parts of it you're not great at because it's mm. it's so fucking painful to watch someone you love be in pain. Mm. Mm. I think you know, I think it's really great that you that you have been able to get that wound out into the air. I suppose. Is yeah. What I mean. Yeah. Thank you. Um, and I, I I will never forget actually the, the, the beautiful thing was was. <clears throat> I think I'd always assumed that a 
I mean, and I know this is different for every person, but when Dad actually died, the moment that he died, it was a strangely beautiful thing. And it was, it, it was a thing where I just knew that he had he'd gone. And there was a sort of energy that got sort of sucked mm. out of the room. There was just this feeling of like, he, uh, that's it. And, and I just knew. And then he was really gone. And then it was yeah. like, no, you're, you're not here anymore. That life force, that spirit, whatever that is, like that is gone. And that was kind of incredible to to witness and and sort of makes it easier when you then eventually have to say goodbye to them you're like okay well we've stood here we've talked to him we've told him we love him you know you spend hours sort of not knowing what to do and me my sister my brother and my mum laughing crying again sort of like going through the whole rolodex of emotions and then it kind of helped when we did eventually say goodbye to him to know that yeah that spirit that life force whatever you think it is wasn't there anymore like it it was it was gone ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi Mm. hello fresh Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome back to Griefcast with Carrie Ad Lloyd. It's yeah. a really um, strange thing, isn't it? When you actually see it yeah. go, it's like yeah. I, I feel like that's a real, like I sort of, I sort of felt like, why have I never? Why has no one ever said that happens? <laughs> like, <laughs> why have I never seen this on any sort of media, film, television? I've never seen like someone just not be there. And like you said, yeah. it is. You really do see, especially if it is somebody who has, who's a big personality, and you kind of mm. like, you know is full of life and energy and active and when they're not you're like oh i see there there's a body and there's a body that that's yeah. it that's all that's yeah. left now yeah all that was them is not mm. there and it's a really strange experience so you were all together when he when he finally passed away so when he finally passed away me and my mum were there and then my sister and brother came very shortly afterwards it was it, it happened like like in the middle of the night so they they yeah. were transferred at around three o'clock in the morning so oh, it was gosh. difficult to get through to, to people but it's funny with with the sort of thinking about spring uh, like spring felt so meaningful in yeah. um 
2014 like even the birds like I wrote poetry about it like the kind of the birds and the new buds bursting through and the heat on your face and I just felt like dad was kind of everywhere like I felt like he was the birds I felt like he was the sort of sunshine um ridiculous um but it was again that felt that that feeling of that he'd sort of gone somewhere he was sort of free I guess and he'd been trapped in this you know in his body and that sort of sense of freedom and um yeah, that's a massive cliche, isn't it, to be so kind of no, no, into spring. I, but it's... <laughs> well, the one we always talk about on the show is that, that I really stayed with me is they say you have to experience every season without them. Oh, and um, yeah. because you're, it's like your brain is like, they didn't see the flowers, they didn't see the sunshine, they didn't see the yeah. leaves, they didn't yeah. see the snow. Yeah. They're gone. And I think... I sort of feel, I wonder what it's like if you don't live in a four season country because like our seasons are so distinct and so clear and like the cycle is so fucking clear that mm. I completely understand. My dad died um, in the April. So we were like in the spring. So I had that sort of weird sensation of like, as my grief got bigger, the you know, it got colder and darker. Like it grew oh, with the grief. Yeah. But I, I completely understand that feeling. And when my mother-in-law died, it was it was just as all the bluebells had come out and she like literally lived in a bluebell wood. And so I remember like we went out and then it was just like this, yeah, this sensation of like life going on. And I think mm. it's a cliche for a damn good reason because it's true. Um, mm. Stuff like that can really help heal, offer something to your soul when you are in the depths of grief, you know, and yeah. it's like, especially, you know, yeah, I can understand someone dying in uh, winter time is it feels like everything's dead, you know? Like, that's yeah. it. It feels like everything's dying and dead, and it is. And then being able to acknowledge, oh, life goes on. And it's, a, yeah, it's a fucking cliche, but it's a good <laughs> reminder. Life does go on. It does. Life like, does you are still alive. Things are still growing. Things will still, mm. the, the birds will appear as they do every year. And I think stuff like that is um, integral to a kind of recovery, which mm. why we talked a lot about in the show about what happened during COVID is... Well, I hated the first lockdown, you know, obviously, as most people did. But the thing that I hated was it felt like grief had taken over. So when you yeah. have lost someone, you're like, you don't want anyone to be out and about enjoying themselves. You want everyone to be inside yeah. grieving like you are. And then when it felt like the world had stopped, I was like, this is awful. <laughs> like, yeah. I want to be reminded. I want to see that life is going on. Like, you need that. It's such a yeah. primal thing. Yeah, um, definitely. So how was that first, you said like you ran away from it for a while. Like, did you feel that, yeah, what did it look like? What did your running away look like? <laughs> I think my running away, I mean, I, I, I think I quite literally ran away. There was one morning I turned, I stayed with my mum for, for a few months and I really wanted to do that and I really wanted to be there. And and then one morning she describes, I sort of arrived at the kitchen, like, I'm off to London, bye mum, sort of thing. <laughs> and I was just, I just needed, I really wanted to, get back to my normal life I wanted to yeah. see friends I wanted to work I wanted to go out and um and yeah just like like to have fun I think because it would it had been really intense the the hospitals and and the, yeah, yeah. just the sort of long dark winter and so yeah I, I I was really lucky to have a few jobs to sort of jump into and I ended up going to Morocco um to wow. film something out there which was a bit of an adventure and then I um ended up filming something actually not too far from my mum so I could pop back and forward but yeah my 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 sort of running away was just keeping busy keeping busy keeping busy and just having these sort of occasional bursts of massive tears um (laughs) 
But I don't know how well I was really dealing with it. Because I think I... I think naturally I'm quite a positive person. And I think I don't probably... I don't find it very easy. I didn't. I didn't find it very easy to be that vulnerable about how yeah, I was feeling. Yeah. I think I'm. I think I'm, you know, hugely changed now, and I'm much more able to talk about the sort of the dark, ugly bits, the sort of you know the sad bits. But I think I always felt a bit of a responsibility to be the sort of fun person who was all positive, and so that doesn't go that well with, with grief. I would <laughs> no, say it's um, a bit tricky. Yeah. Yeah. I think people just used to think I was coping really well. They were just coping really well. Um, but then privately, I think it was a very private thing for me. The kind of the crying was something that happened in private. And yeah. I would almost find it a bit uncomfortable when people who'd also lost a parent would sort of talk to me about it. And they'd have so much understanding in their <laughs> eyes. And they sort of hold my hand. And I, would, I remember just feeling like, oh, no, 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 no. This doesn't feel right. No, please. Yeah. Um, I'm not in your they, club. I'm not in that. No, I'm no, not no. In your club. no. I'm no, not no, like no, you. No. I'm actually yeah. fine. You yeah. seem quite damaged. But I, I'm weirdly fine. I don't know. I'm just really lucky. I'm one yeah. of those people. It hasn't affected yeah. me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I used to always say things like, I just, look, my dad died when I was 15. It's just not a big deal. It's just one of those things. It's just one of those things. Some people... <laughs> you know their parents get divorced at 15 or they move house my dad died no big deal like these yeah. things that you build up to protect yourself like I am not yeah. vulnerable I am definitely <laughs> definitely not vulnerable and it's funny isn't it that like I, I I wonder how you feel about this like as actors I I would find any like that's why I went to comedy because I found anything that mm. made me feel vulnerable in performing was like ah run away so it was like <laughs> You know, when they or they would say, like, oh, use your experience or what do you have? And I'd be like, no, thanks. That box is fully locked <laughs> and we are not opening it. So I yeah. was like, comedy was so great because comedy is full of people who were like, I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> so that was such a big thing for me of running. That was my form of running of like to this world where people didn't want to talk about it. And then the more yeah. I talk about it, the less comedy, like as in gigs, I started doing. So I was like, oh, I'm kind of okay with being vulnerable now. And that doesn't That's fit so in that good. well in comedy. <laughs> like, <laughs> I was like, oh, no. Yeah. How was that for you? Like, were you in the jobs? Did you just kind of put on, put on another face of like. Yeah. I mean, it was quite weird because I ended up, grief kind of was really coming at me from the, like, I played a grieving wife. Oh, I played wow. a grieving daughter. Oh, God. Um, I, I, like, all the roles, like, you know, were, yeah. were kind of really sort of smacking me in the face. I mean, there was one particular job that I did where I was, yeah, my father had died and I had to sort of, we had to do the death scene and it was a bit, he looked oh, just my a God. little bit too much like dad. Um, and I, you, I don't know if you have this problem sometimes, Carrie, but when you have to cry on cue, oh, yeah, yeah, there's yeah. a sort of like, oh God, I have to cry, I've got to cry, i got to cry. Yeah. And the focus on this job was just not to have a complete panic attack. I was like, I'm so <laughs> emotional. And it was, it was, it was actually kind of embarrassing. I was like, I think I might need to just like have a bit of a time out here because it was a, it was a really surreal moment. That, that was the closest I've come to kind of really losing it. Um, because, I mean, that's, yeah, that's, he just looked like my yeah. dad. He looked a bit like my dad. That's it was awful. Just really surreal. I yeah. really feel for you because people describe like, oh, I was on the tube and I saw someone who looked like him and it was very painful. No one is like, oh, I had to relive a father <laughs> dying, pretend I was his daughter and it looked like my dad. Like that's like immersion therapy. Yeah, that was that was Jesus. that was pretty that was pretty intense. But um I think, yeah, those first few years, I went out a lot. I kind of wanted to sort of have a lot of fun and and then it really was that kind of you know just it was like three years later just had that real urge to just actually I want to look at these book diaries I want to write it all 
I want to write it, you know, out. And I cried buckets um, doing that. But it was an amazing experience. And I think I think after that, it was less kind of up and down. And I think I was just a little bit more sad than normal yeah, in a kind of yeah. permanent way. And I sort of leveled out in a slightly more kind of, you know, vulnerable, probably normal way if that makes sense just yeah. to sort of myself but just dialed a bit back down and a little bit a little bit more sad than normal did you go um, to any that's professional me. therapy or anything like that did I you? did I did I did and I the reason I went actually was because I had really bad anxiety uh, um yeah. I felt I had sort of like you know that whole thing of like oh my god what am I going to say what am I going to say to people I can't think of what I'm going to say to people and sort of anxiety about seeing them yeah yeah um, Again, I mean, this is this is from someone who claimed to be coping quite well and <laughs> clearly wasn't. But I was, yeah, I, I found that really difficult. And again, on, on listening to Griefcast, I think it was the Julia Samuels episode where she talked about, you know, of course you're anxious because yeah. the, your life has been built on these two pillars. And when one of them gets taken away, you have a whole new identity. You have like your whole sense of self is you know is is shaken and you have to refind your identity as a daughter without a father and you have to yeah. refind yourself and and that is really weird and scary and you don't feel like yourself and you're and it makes so much sense looking back that of course I would have felt anxious and 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 a bit rudderless and a bit exposed and a bit vulnerable because you know this huge figure in my life um was gone and um and that was something that I yeah I had to work on quite a lot in in therapy yeah, I mean, I you know I've talked about it on the show. Like I, <laughs> I have terrible anxiety. It get it. It's sometimes better than it is. But like, mm. I remember my therapist saying, like, you know, like something about like a normal level of anxiety. And I remember thinking, what is that? What's a no- what's a normal <laughs> level? She was like, on a scale of one to ten, like where do you see yourself? I was like. I mean, who isn't at nine, right? Like, mm, we're mm, all at mm. nine. And she was like, some people are at one. I was like, who are these people? Who are they? <laughs> they have nothing to worry about. Um, but I think grief is a real... I, you know, I, as ever, I ain't no expert, but I think grief ties in so much with anxiety because the idea that you're out of control, think people can die, people can get ill, and there's nothing mm. you can do. There's nothing you can touch wood or, you know see a black cat as much as you like and you can eat mm. well and you can do all these things and people will still die and that's a really scary life lesson even though it's a very true life lesson and it's something we all have to accept and we all have to walk through that you know idea and and take it into our heart it, it's really yeah it's really frightening and I think it's really interesting what you say about going out and having fun because I think that's again so common because and all these things that we sometimes judge ourselves for, but actually, like, of course you want to go and live because someone's just died. Mm. So you want to be like, mm. I'm alive, I can live. Like, it mm. doesn't have to be this experience. But mm. I, I guess what I feel with this show and, like, so many, what I want with so many talking to people is just for everyone to realise, like, whatever you're doing after someone's died, it's probably quite normal. Yeah, <laughs> But we so kind true. of we kind of go, oh, oh, why am I doing this? Or why am I having fun? Or why am I crying? It's like, it's just because someone's mm. died. Like it's, mm. what is, you know, you're just trying to figure it out. And then I think we are, yeah, hard on ourselves. But that's why I think it's such an amazing process that you, one, wrote it down and then two, were able to go back to it. Because it's kind of like, I mean, you literally did put it in a box and then open it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I yeah, I did. I, yeah, I, you know, it took me so long to even admit there was a box even go even go well I guess we could open it um so I think that's a really sort of healthy way in a way 
not that you know there's no right or wrong there's just whatever works for you and um you mentioned as well like becoming a mum so when did you have your daughter how old is she so I had her she was a lockdown baby um so Uh, she was born in May 2020 uh and weirdly she was born in the hospital that my dad died died in wow so she was she was meant to be born in UCLH um but because of COVID we ended up not being in London it seemed like a better idea and so she was born at the John Radcliffe and so that was a kind of lovely full circle um thing and I haven't allowed myself to dwell on it too much about like dad not meeting her and because if I do yeah, go there yeah. I sort of I sort of wrote in that in my book it's like a sort of landslide <laughs> I yeah, could just yeah. slip and just disappear down a massive hole and so it's in it's in it's interestingly when when Romy was born she had the heel prick test as as all babies have and you know and I I was just like oh we're never gonna hear anything and then we got a phone call from um Great Ormond Street and she has a she has a very rare genetic um condition but it's manageable and it's 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 been totally fine and you know we sometimes have to take her into hospital just to make sure she's okay but um but that was a massive shock getting that phone call we were just sitting there with our two-day-old baby just completely in love and um and interesting, it's moments like that that I really, really miss my dad. Mm. And I obviously, my I have my mum, and I and I, you know, rely on her so much emotionally. And but I, it's it's, it's that feeling of them knowing what to do, or them just saying that everything's going to be okay, and yeah. that sort of just containing you in the way that parents can. And uh, that it's been those moments, you know, those kind of really vulnerable. Even when you're an adult, and I'm, you know, in my late thirties, you know, you just want your dad sometimes, yeah. and you just want them to to take control. And you know, as he would often when I had, you know, different life issues, he'd sort of always have brilliant advice and kind of be there. So that's that's been difficult. And then, and it's quite funny. Romy is obsessed with this photograph of him <laughs> on the fridge so, to the point where I think it's actually been ripped in half. <laughs> kind of like to play with it. She's like Nick. Um, but you know we do talk about him and I, I want her to sort of grow up knowing that he's you know that's her grandfather one of her grandfathers so so that's it's, that's when it's kind of come up and then also when I was pregnant I I went into a church um, and lit a candle for dad as I sometimes do and I and I suddenly had that realization that they were never going to meet each other and yeah. that was really awful and so I had a massive cry um, about that and then there was a weird moment, actually, when Romy was being born. I don't know how woo-woo you are, Carrie, but I have... I'm pretty woo-woo. I'm pretty woo-woo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you woo. <laughs> you have your woo moments. But um, the lights went... There was a weird moment when Romy was just about to be born when all the lights went out in the room. And there's been a few sort of electrical things that have happened yeah, yeah, where yeah. lights have sort of flickered or radios have come on in the middle of the night. And it, I've just made the decision. I've just made the decision to yeah. just go, that's Dad. And I, yeah. you know, he's just here, just saying hi. And there was that was a really strange moment. Um, yeah. Just when all the lights went out and then they all came on again. But I, I like to believe that he's communicating me through the medium of electricity. <laughs> <laughs> why not? Like, why, why not? not? Like, it makes you, gives you comfort. And like, <laughs> I just, um, you know, there's the old um, superstition. If you see a white feather, it's like someone you've ah. lost saying hello. Oh, really? And um, a friend... So a, a friend's little girl had a white feather and she was like, oh, it was my, it's my nanny. And the mum looked a bit like, oh, I've told her this, sorry. <laughs> and I was oh. like, no, no. I was like, my God, like, take it where you can. Like, I just think, yeah. I don't know, like these things, if it brings comfort and it's not harmful and it's not, 
you know, seriously damaging your mental health in any way, then mm. yeah, why not? Maybe he, maybe he, you know, he died there. Why not? That, that to me, I would yeah. definitely find stuff like that. Like, yeah, I, I'm, I'm all for that. And I think it's a really hard process that they don't meet them. And I have you I, found that? Have you found oh, that? Oh really? yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. that that was a real. It was funny, like because he died when I was so young. I was like really prepped, like you know. You know, he he didn't know what I got for my GCSEs, didn't know my A-levels, didn't know I went to exam, yeah, like yeah. wasn't at my wedding, like all this stuff I was like very, very prepared for. And I hadn't quite thought, oh, he won't meet them. I kind of thought like, oh, I won't have him around when I have kids. So I, yeah. but obviously they didn't exist. So when you see this person in front of you and you're like, oh, they won't get to meet them. And I like this person, my child, and I would like them to meet them because mm, they were mm. also interesting. So it's like, you can't, I think it's quite a hard thing to conceive of until you have conceived and have a child in front of you. Um, or however you have a child in front of you. It doesn't have to be through natural conception. Um, so I think, yeah, yeah it's, it's difficult. And I, I think the other problem with it, as ever, with grief, is it evolves. So when yeah. she was a baby, it was sad because she was a baby. And now she's like running around as a nutcase five-year-old. I'm like, oh, he would have liked this bit as well. So yeah. you're constantly having to kind of check in with yourself and be like, oh, okay, that's sad. And <laughs> mm. I try these days just to sort of let it be and just be like, yeah, that's really sad. And that's mm. taken a lot of therapy and years of doing this mm. podcast um, yeah. to just go, yeah, God, that's sad. Whereas I used to obviously be like, don't think about it like it doesn't matter like it, you know block it out block it out and so mm. I find that more helpful now just to be like gosh that's very sad um because yeah. it is it's really sad they don't get to meet them it is really sad and you can it's really important I think to talk about them and I think you can get a sense of someone and I, I try to remember that like I had um like a crazy set of great aunts and great uncles and great grandparents that obviously I didn't meet but I remember the stories about them and they're very sort of mm. real to me so I yeah. try and think well they did a good job of making those people really real so perhaps I can do a good job of making this person really real and yeah. I think as long as you yeah talk about them and they know that you're okay to talk about them that's yeah that's a lovely thing I just yeah I just think that's that's all you can do do you find yourself kind of um doing things that your dad maybe did as a parent do you sort of because there's a sometimes there can be a nice connection there where you feel a bit like you sort of find yourself using language they would have used or sort of doing games that they might have yeah played. I mean this is where it becomes tricky because my dad was definitely not the world's top dad so <laughs> your dad sounds like a really lovely jolly fellow and no shade to dad my dad but he was a complicated man and so yeah. I, that's quite helpful actually I don't particularly I pe- you know a parent like my mother really apart from mm. occasionally shouting like him um, <laughs> but yeah when my brother we, we were all on holiday and my brother out of nowhere to all like the kids he's got kids as well was like come on chilly winks in the car and I was like chilly winks <laughs> that's what my dad used to call us and I, it really froze me because I was like you know when you're like in two pla- I was like I was, I was literally in a child and I was my adult self at the same time and I was like well that word and that and he sounds like my dad a bit doesn't look like him at all but he sounds like him I was like oh my god and then I sort of looked at him he was like oh yeah that's oh yeah like you know you don't even know where that's come from he was like oh yeah that's That's one of dad's things isn't it so yeah I find it 
in some ways easier because he wasn't particularly around when we were kids so yeah. that doesn't it doesn't bring up any memories <laughs> of that <laughs> but yeah it's just certain phrases and stuff have you found like he he obviously was a great dad so he was he was um yeah he was very kind a very very kind person and, and a very selfless person and actually had a weird thing um facebook sometimes pops up and oh, yeah. reminds you of things and yesterday i had this weird reminder that I've been walking along, a, d- a year after Dad died, I've been walking to read through um, for Doc Martin. Oh, yeah. And I was feeling quite nervous. And I was walking along the river. And um, so Dad's, yeah, big passion was rowing. And he had a boat that was named after him called the Nick Bevan. And there was a big regatta going on because it was in Hammersmith. And I was just literally walking along. And out of the water, right in front of me, came out the Nick Bevan, <gasps> practically knocking oh, me off the towpath. Which was so weird. Like yeah. one of those moments of synchronicity. Um and so it's just sort of moments of feeling like, I don't know, the universe is is complicated. and But, but it, it, that was an amazing moment that happened. And so I, I do, I'm comforted by the idea that things like that can happen. And yeah. that I, I don't, I, although he's gone, I feel, I don't know, I feel, I, I do try and sort of be like him, I think, definitely. I think I admired him a lot and I... Um, was very close to him and so I think that's a sort of way of keeping him alive by sort of trying to be a bit like him in in various ways although we're very different it's a sort of it's just an ongoing process isn't it it is and um ever-changing and I wonder what it will look like in another 10 years yeah and um how I'll feel about it I definitely feel like I went through a phase of feeling like I was a bit of an expert on grief and kind of being the person wanting to sort of talk to anyone who'd lost a parent and sort of having been like completely, you know, detached from it all, then being like, okay, this is what I want to talk about. I mean, yeah, yeah I'm definitely, I think I'm still in that phase. <laughs> <laughs> You're very good at it. Oh, though. bless you. But, I mean, thank you. Good. Thank you so much. It was so nice to talk to you. I remember Nick. It was really Nick. lovely to chat to you. And oh my god that story that the boat came by and waved that's you know said hello to you that is so nice what a nice thing what a nice way to and not scary that's like a really non-scary no. way to be like hello that's hello. lovely but thank you thank so much you. for remembering him he sounds awesome it was so lovely to chat to you Carrie. thank you so much you can follow emily on twitter at emily grace bevan that is B-E-V-A-N. Her book, The Diary of Losing Dad, A Bittersweet Journey Through Grief, is published by Unbound, and you can buy that now. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at The Griefcast. The show was recorded remotely, um, I think in both our living rooms. Uh, it was edited by Kate Holland, the music was by The Glue Ensemble, artwork by Jade Perkin, and remember, you are not alone. That sounded a bit harsh, so... <laughs> Just, I sounded quite meanly, sorry, I meant... You're not alone. I'm here for you as well. But um, apologies if that sounded a bit sharp. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.